Hello. It is absolutely wonderful to be with you all here today. Just kidding. You were so excited. Your, your faces. I saw one of you guys over there. Oh, British. No, I'm a Californian. I talk like a normal person. If you're not from California and that was offensive, I'm sorry. It's good to be here. Uh, it is super good to be here. I got to tell you guys um, how I met Alan. It's really funny, actually. Um, super random. So I didn't know him at all. And I, I'm on Facebook and I post things. One day I go on Facebook and I post about the Calvary dove. How many of you guys know about the Calvary dove? Anybody? You know what that symbol is? Someone here has a hat with a Calvary dove. You here? Represent? Yeah, in the back. Wait, tilt your head down. Okay, not that down. Little, yep, that's the Calvary dove. So when I was a kid, I didn't know that was a bird. I thought that was what the Holy Spirit looked like. I thought that was literally like what the whole, like it's like floating in my chest and it looks like that weird symbol. So I posted about that on Facebook and David Duquesne, who went to Bible college with my buddy Mike Duquesne, sent my post to Alan and was like, this guy's hilarious. And then Alan was like, I got to talk to this guy. And then we talked to one another and we became BFFs and now I'm here. So yeah, let's give it up for Alan for putting on a great camp. Thanks, bro. And all of your amazing volunteers, give it up for them. They're the MVPs. I'm glad to be here with you guys today. We are looking at the heartbeat of the kingdom, and it's this idea of what is the kingdom of God. We're going to dissect it, we're going to pull it apart, and we're going to look at it. So if you'll pray with me, we will get into it after that. Lord, we love you, and as we open up your word tonight, Lord, to ask you to speak to our hearts, God. I pray that you would speak loud and clear. I pray that you would show us your heart, show us your kingdom, and help us to have a deep understanding of who you are and what you're doing. God, we're so expectant for you to speak tonight. I'm just a man. I can't say anything valuable, Lord, but you can speak through me. So I pray that your spirit would be here, Lord. That's what we need to hear from. In your name, amen. Amen. Um, I want to talk to you guys to start out with about the idea of misunderstandings. Now, imagine that there is a guy here in the group who has the iPhone, not eight, but nine. He went to the future and he got an iPhone nine and it's amazing. It's got like 17 cameras on its front and backside. It's got side cameras. It's, it's got cameras in places there shouldn't even be cameras. There's a camera. They, they put the headphone jack back on the phone, and now there's a camera in the headphone jack for some reason. And you're like, this, this phone is amazing. Like, I, I can't wait to see this phone. So you go to your friend's house, and you're like, dude, show me this glorious iPhone 9. And he's like, oh, man, I'm going to show you my iPhone 9. And he, and he looks, he points over, and the iPhone's floating in a fishbowl. He'd be like... You're, you're, you're stupid. Why is that iPhone in a fishbowl? He's like, I thought that's how you use it. And you're like, no, what, what planet are you from? 
misunderstandings can lead us to missed opportunities. That guy missed out on having an awesome iPhone. I heard another story about a misunderstanding. There was a guy once at Bible College, Calvary Chapel Bible College, and he was walking around with this sweet Hebrew tattoo. That's pretty popular for Christians these days. Uh, My brother-in-law has tons of tattoos, and everyone's always getting like some kind of Hebrew word. And so he's got this street, or this sweet Hebrew word, like on his bicep, and everyone's like, what's that Hebrew word, bro? And he's like, oh man, it means strength. Yeah, strength. And then he goes to his Hebrew professor's class, and the Hebrew professor looks at his tattoo, and he's like, that's an interesting choice of a tattoo. And he's like, what are you talking about, man? It's strength. And he goes, no, it's not. It's matzah. If you don't know, if you're new to church, that's the little cracker people take before communion. So, good job, bro. Misunderstandings can lead to a failure to communicate the truth. And also, sometimes misunderstandings can change your entire life. I want you guys to imagine a situation where there's this old dude, this creepy old dude who follows you around every day, and you're like, what are you, old man? And he's like, I just want to talk to you. And you're like, no, leave me alone. And you're like running away from this old man in the grocery store parking lot, and he's like, please, please, I just need a minute of your time. And you're like, no, please, stay away. You're creepy. I don't want anything to do with you. And then one day, you find out that old guy was actually your great, 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 great grandpa And he was trying to give you his inheritance of a bajillion dollars. But you missed out because you thought he was a creepy hobo. Misunderstandings can sometimes change and ruin our entire lives. And I think sometimes, is this too loud when it's up here? Does it need to be down here? How am I doing? How are we doing? Yeah? All right. Just want to make sure I feel like I'm like the great and powerful Wizard of Oz right now. I'm creeping myself out. I think sometimes our misunderstandings about heaven can lead to missed opportunities and change the course of our life, not for the better, but for the worse. What do we know about heaven? Or what do we think we know about heaven? I actually texted my students over the weekend and I asked the kids in my youth group, I lead a youth group called Hope's Anchor back at Calvary Chapel Vista, and I asked my high school students, what is heaven like? So I had a couple of replies. One of them was a girl named Morgan. She said, heaven is a castle on a cloud. It's a never-ending worship service. It's just like you get to heaven and it's like good, good father for a bajillion years. I don't know if that sounds like heaven. (laughs) Sounds like the other place, possibly. Um, You know, we think of heaven as like fluffy cloud land. Has anyone ever at any point in your life thought of heaven as like magical cloud land in the sky? Yeah, and for some reason there's babies and they're naked and they have wings. And it's like, why are you naked, babies? This is weird. Stop playing that harp. While there may be some truth to some of our examples, guys, listen, there's so much more to the picture, and often our ideas about heaven are completely false. They don't come from the Bible. They come from Hollywood. We need to get serious about not only the idea of heaven, but the biblical definition of the kingdom of heaven. You see, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. I want to read with you guys Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, turn there with me. This is during a portion of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is on a mountaintop giving 
what's called the kingdom manifesto. He's telling people what the kingdom of God is all about. So in Matthew chapter 6, we can start in verse 9. Here's what Jesus says. He's telling his disciples how to pray. He says, in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today I want to tell you guys five things about the kingdom of God that shape how you view it and enhance the way that you look at it, not only for the rest of this camp, but for the rest of your life. The first is, and you can write this down if you're taking notes, heaven is something that is already, but not yet. Already, but not yet. So let's break down what does that mean. Here's another response I got from one of my students. Her name is Leah. Leah said, heaven is where God is. It's his holy realm. Yes, Leah, nailed it. So good. She also said, heaven is our home. And then she said a very typical thing that we hear in the church, which is we weren't made to be on this earth. We were made to be in heaven. How many of you guys have ever heard a statement like that? We weren't made for this earth. You know, we were made for heaven. Heaven is our heavenly home. There's some truth to that statement, but it's not completely true. Listen to the statement again. We weren't made for this earth. We were made to be in heaven with God. But if that's true, think about it. What were Adam and Eve made for? Think about that. God makes them, and in the beginning, he puts them where? Earth, right. He puts them on planet Earth. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, and he puts Adam and Eve smack dab, not in the middle of heaven, but in the middle of earth. That's interesting. Now consider this. Were Adam and Eve meant to die? No. They were given the tree of life. And so Adam and Eve were created with the intention of being eternal and living somewhere. Where was it? Heaven? No, it was earth. That's very interesting. So they were created as these beings who were meant to live somewhere, and that was earth. Earth was their home. Now I'm going to show you guys a video from the Bible Project. How many of you guys like the Bible Project? So good, right? They've got this video called Heaven and Earth that I think really does a good job of laying out some solid theology of heaven and earth. So we're going to watch this, and what we're, the, the sound guy and the video guy got to sync up because we're playing it from there and there. So um, I'm going to count to three, and then you guys can both hit play, and we'll be good. One, two, three. So rad, though, right? So good. I love that video. It tells us, it paints this picture of the Garden of Eden being the ground floor for the kingdom of God. It's the place where in the beginning, heaven kisses earth. It's where God walks in the garden with his people. How many of you guys have ever gone on a prayer walk? Yeah, no, nobody. I love walking around and just praying and talking to the Lord. Well, in Eden, God walked with his people. Imagine walking next to God. It would be so fantastic. You see, Adam didn't need to make animal sacrifices. Adam didn't need to follow a long, complicated list of rules. He had complete access to the Lord. It was so good. Adam didn't need to go out into the woods and pray with his Bible. He had direct access to Yahweh. For those of you guys who are new to the faith, or if you are not part of the faith and you're just here, you're like, who's this Yahweh guy? That's actually the name of our God. So Adam could talk with God 
And it's amazing. In Eden, it's this place where heaven and earth connected. And we think of heaven, at least I always did growing up, like um, heaven is above Earth is in the middle, and hell is somewhere down below. And heaven's like way up in space. But you know what? As I understand it, heaven is actually God's realm, and it spans the entire physical existence. God is everywhere, and so he is full of his presence. And the kingdom of heaven is the place where God's presence broke into the atmosphere. In earth, at this point in the story, the location of the kingdom of heaven is in the Garden of Eden because that is where the king is. Where the king is, that is where the kingdom is. But something tears the kingdom apart. Who knows what that was called? It was the what? The blank of man. The fall of man. And I always think of it like, um, you guys know that snake from Jungle Book? You know, with the crazy eyes who comes up and he's like, hey, trust in me. That's how I always think of the snake in the Bible. Um, He comes up, though, and he gets Eve to disobey God. It's one simple act of disobedience that rips heaven and earth apart. And it's this violent tearing, and it puts this wall of separation between man and God. Listen, this is not just a story about a God and his people. It's a story about a king and his kingdom, and a king and his children, and that's us. The story of the Bible is about a king's mission to restore what was lost. What happens after man sins? Adam and Eve get exiled. The world gets dark because it's a new kingdom that's invaded the world. It's the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, and the entire world is filled with wickedness and evil. Much like today, we look outside and we turn on the news and we see the evil in the world. Well, back then, it got so bad that literally no one on the entire planet followed God except for one man, Noah. So God sends a flood and everyone is destroyed except Noah and his family. And at that point, the story seems pretty bleak because the whole point of the story, the whole story of the Bible was about God and his place his kingdom and his people but where are his people now lost due to sin but listen even though the world was corrupted by sin in the garden and even though the corruption got so bad God needed to flood the world and start over through all this pain and suffering God had a plan and the plan was Jesus there was always this prophecy you see in the garden of Eden God talked about this snake crusher the one who would come and crush the serpent's head the one that would come and free everyone fast forward to a guy in the Bible named Abraham we've got a man out in the desert staring at the sun worshiping the sun God Yahweh shows up and says Abraham follow me he says Abraham you will have Many sons, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. I'm not going to spin around. But he says, Abraham, you have been chosen and your children, you're going to, I know you're like 90 years old and your wife's like a million years old, but it's all going to be okay, buddy. You're going to have some kids and you will be the father of an entire nation and your children will bless the entire world. Why, why was Israel chosen? Why did God choose Israel? Why did he pick them? He says, I've chosen you. Your family will bless all the nations. I used to think, because I once heard someone teach, what does that mean? Israel will bless all the nations. I once heard someone teach, um, that verse is actually talking about fruits and vegetables, specifically figs. Israel is the number one uh, exporter of figs around the world. So, Prophecy came true. I was like, 
That's such a downplay of the scriptures. There's something more there than just figs. You see, because here's the thing. Israel's not necessarily loved by people around the world. They're actually attacked by people all around the world. So what is this prophecy about when it says that Abraham's family that becomes the nation of Israel one day will bless the entire nations of the world? Something will come forth from them. Something will be birthed from them that will change the world. That prophecy, my friends, was about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And you see, the entire Bible is about Jesus. All of Scripture points to him. Have you ever wondered, what would God say? You're in a certain situation, and you're like, if God were here right now, what would he say? He already said it. It was Jesus. Jesus is what God has to say. It's one of the most important things I can tell you as a Christian. Remember this. Jesus is what God has to say. He is literally the answer to all of life's problems. You ever heard that scripture in the Gospel of John, in the very beginning of the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, I used to always think whenever we talked about the Word, I I looked at my physical leather Bible, and I was like, okay, so in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Bible, and the Bible was with God, and the Bible was God, so the Bible is God, and I was like... I imagined a Bible like floating through space, like flapping its pages like wings. And I was like, that's trippy. Listen, that word in the Greek, when it says in the beginning was the word, the word in the Greek for word is logos. And that word means message and proclamation. So in the beginning was the message and the proclamation. And the message and the proclamation was with God, and it was God. Who is God's messenger? It is Jesus. What is God's message to the world? It's Jesus. What does God want to say to the world? Jesus. And what does he say through Jesus? He says, I love you, I love you, I love you. You guys are right now doing the year of biblical literacy, right? And you guys are reading through your Bible plans, right? Who here is doing that? Yeah, going strong? Who here is like, you know, on track perfectly? Anybody? Yeah? I do so bad with Bible reading plans. I'm such an OCD, or not OCD, ADD, space cadet, get lost in my own world. So like sometimes I'll be like, all right, Bible reading plan. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, this verse in Genesis, I want to like trip out on this for like a month. This is awesome. So I don't do well with Bible reading plans. I'm kind of working at my own pace. But listen, if you're doing the year of biblical literacy, which I think is fantastic, Think of it this way as you're reading, because sometimes it gets gnarly when you're reading and you get to like Leviticus. I'm reading through the whole Bible right now, and I just got through Leviticus for my devotions. It was gnarly. If you don't think of things the right way, you get lost. Think of it this way. The Bible's all about Jesus. The gospel's the center, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's Jesus. Old Testament is Jesus prequel. New Testament is Jesus sequel. And if you think of it that way, if you look for Jesus in the pages of the Bible, if you look at the overarching narrative of Scripture, you will be so blown away to see that God is the same today, tomorrow, and forever. Yesterday and today and tomorrow, he never changes. How many of you guys know the song, Oh, How He Loves Us? Yeah, by John Mark McMillan. How many of you guys know the uh, controversy about the song? Anybody? Yeah, what's the controversy? Anybody? Just say it. Sloppy wet kiss. Oh. Who likes sloppy wet kiss? Raise your hand. Anybody? Who likes unforeseen kiss? Yeah? You like unforeseen kisses? That's weird. My wife doesn't like unforeseen kisses. If I like ever swoop up on her and give her a kiss and she's not expecting it, she's like, what are you doing? Stop that. Ugh. I don't, and then if it's like an unforeseen sloppy wet kiss, that's even worse. Um, 
It's like, what are you, a dog? Um, Listen, the cross is where heaven met earth like an unforeseen sloppy wet kiss. It is so romantic and unexpected and amazing. Heaven and earth torn apart by sin. When Jesus died on that cross, heaven met earth. The kingdom is coming back together is the message of the cross. How many of you guys know about the veil in the temple? Anybody? That's some sloppy wet kissing right there. That is intense. There's this literal curtain. Like just imagine um, that this is the temple in Israel and there's like, you're here trying to pray to God and there's this giant like thick curtain that spans this entire wall and you know God is behind there but you know you're unworthy. You know that you can never go behind that curtain. Only Alan can go behind that curtain because he's your pastor but if he like messed up and sinned it all today, if he goes behind the curtain, he'll get struck dead. It's just, it's gnarly. It's like, oh my gosh, like I want to love God but he seems so inaccessible. It's because of our sin. When Jesus died on the cross, the temple veil ripped in half and God was saying to the world, I'm here for for you. You have access to me. You can be with me because I love you enough that I did this for you. I love that. The story of the Bible, which ends with Revelation, is heaven and earth being fully restored. Now, for those of you guys who can think of it, you know, if you've ever imagined heaven as this amazing kingdom, this amazing place where there's no more hurt, no more sin, no more suffering, no more pain, one day that God says in the Bible, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. I'm so excited. Basically, the idea is reboot. It's going back to the garden. It's setting up a new place where we can live with God together together in a perfect place. And I'm so excited for that. But here's the question that we want to talk about tonight is what does that mean for us right now? Because if the kingdom is already not yet, how do we live into it now? Well, what does Jesus say about the kingdom? Read again with me if you're in the text. Jesus says, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right there, Jesus is combating the idea that the only place the reality of heaven, God's space, can exist is in some far-off distant cloud land. No, he says, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done right here, right now. I used to pray that so ineffectually. I used to say, yes, Lord, you know, heaven is going to be so great. And, And you know what would be really great, Lord, is if you could just bring a little pinch of heaven down here, just a little smidgen, Lord, just the tiniest taste of heaven, just, just a little bit, Lord. It'd be so great. Because look around at our world. It's going to hell in a handbasket. There's no way. There's no way. But, Lord, just a little taste. Listen. In his prayer, in teaching us how to pray, Jesus is saying, no, we need to regularly invite the will of God to invade this earthly space. What's another word for a king's will? It's his what? Rule. What do you call a place where a king rules? His kingdom. Do you realize that right here in this space, this camp, because you're all here submitting to the rule of King Jesus, Jesus is here. King Jesus is with us. This camp is actually an outpost of the heavenly kingdom. Do you get it? Where the king is, the the kingdom is. Where the king's kids are, with him, the kingdom is. 
So wait, if I leave the camp, then I leave the kingdom? No. Who do you carry with you in your hearts? Christ, the king. Which means the kingdom of heaven is portable. You get to carry the kingdom into your homes and schools. That's so exciting. Is anyone excited about that? Are you with me? Anybody? I'm so excited about that. Jesus says, listen, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What that means is it's almost here. It's coming. It's on his way. But he says another thing in the scriptures. Jesus says the kingdom of God is among you. You see, already Not yet. It's coming, but it's also right here among you. It's so rad. I'm so excited about it. Repeat with me. Where the king is, the kingdom is. Where the king is, the kingdom is. Is heaven a place you go when you die? Is it? Yeah. Is hell a place that you go when you die? Yeah. These are final future destinations that one day everyone will come to. The difference with heaven is it's not only a future destination, but it's a present reality. And if you're like, how does that work? Tell me how the Trinity works. The Lord works in mysterious ways. It's already and it's not yet. Listen, when we only view the kingdom as a distant future event, we rob ourselves of the kingdom's present power. How many of you guys have ever been to Disneyland? Another kingdom. The magical kingdom, happiest place on earth. I hate it. My wife loves Disneyland. I want to just murder everyone when I'm at it. Um, <laughs> turns me into a non-Christian when I'm there. I'm just like, I hate everything about everything. I like the Cars ride, though. I really do. The Cars ride. Has anyone ever been on the Cars ride? Yeah? It's pretty rad, huh? super fast. The wind's in your hair. It's just like, oh, it's amazing. It's like I could just get in my normal car and drive on the freeway, but this is somehow better. It's just, it's fantastic. The the Cars ride is really, really good. I love it. It's like my one ride that I really like. The line, it's the most popular ride. The line is like three hours long. So, you know, you're just in it, and you're like, that ride is going to be so good, but this line, I hate it, and I hate everyone around me, and just, I just, Ah, like there's no reception here. I'm going to die. That's how it feels. Listen, listen. Sometimes Christians, Christian teenagers, Christian adults, senior citizens, so basically everybody, sometimes we, we all think of the wait for heaven like it's some ride line at Disneyland. Picture it with me. You're like, man, heaven's going to be so great but I gotta get through this line, and boy, this line, there are trials and tribulations in this line, brother, let me tell you. It's just, ah, oh, I just hate waiting for heaven. Life is terrible. Come, Lord Jesus, now. That's, that's how we feel a lot of the time. But listen, listen, we're missing out. We're missing out on what God has for us right now. You know, Jesus talks about enter by the narrow gate, and we go, oh, the narrow gate, Jesus. Oh, got to push my life into this narrow little box and I just got to obey my parents. Do you know what it's like to obey my parents? Have you met my parents? They're crazy. They're crazy. They're ruining my life. That's what we think. Listen, listen. Yes, following Jesus is a narrow gate. You have to submit yourself to the will of the king. You have to die to yourself and your flesh and your own desires. Yes, it's a narrow gate, but it opens up to a wider world than you could 
ever imagine. This is a concept that has been blowing my mind lately. When I think of my life before I started to follow Christ, and yeah, I grew up in the church and I was a pastor's son, but there was a point where I decided to actually submit my life to the will of Christ. That opened up my life to greater joy and greater freedom and greater opportunity to fulfill what I'm called to do, which is to love and serve others. How many of you guys have ever seen the great movie, Nightmare Before Christmas? Anybody? Nightmare Before Christmas. I wasn't allowed to watch it when I was a kid because it was like there was a trailer, and in the trailer, the kid like pulled the head out of the like Christmas box, and it was like a dismembered head, and my parents were like, that's bad. And <laughs> I wasn't allowed, because in the 90s, like, oh my gosh, when I hear about some of the things you guys are allowed to watch, like I have like junior high kids who are like, I was watching American Horror Story last night, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Ha! Huh! Watch your pretty little liars. People totally got pregnant. It was crazy. And I'm just like, I wasn't allowed to watch like uh, Hercules because there was other gods. I, I actually had a friend in the 90s. I had a friend in the 90s who wasn't allowed to. 90s Christian parent. If you're a 90s Christian parent here, I'm sorry. Um, but maybe you're not. But when I was a kid, 90s Christian parents were a little, little strict. I remember there was a kid who wasn't allowed to watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because in the lyrics of the theme song, they say turtles in a half shell, turtle power. And the mom was like, no power but the power of Christ in this home. <laughs> True story. Anyway, I'm so sorry. I'm off topic. Nightmare, Nightmare Before Christmas is about this skeleton man named Jack who lives in Halloween Town. And he's, all, he's like the king of Halloween, and he's in charge of like a committee of skeletons and pumpkins and ghosts. And like, they're really nice. Like, literally, the movie's so tame. It's just about them, like, we're the committee that puts on Halloween. And he's like, oh, my life is terrible because all I ever do every day is Halloween. And then he like stumbles upon this door that takes him to Christmas Land. And Christmas Land is really cool because it's this Christmas kingdom where every day is about Christmas. Every day is about December 31st. Um, wait, no, 25th. 25th. <laughs> no one knows the day or hour when Santa comes. Um, yeah, we do. I'm just dumb. Okay, so, but every day is about Christmas. It's like we're looking forward to the day when Christmas comes, but every day is about preparation. And it's not like they're like, oh, we're slaving away in a workshop making toys for Santa. They love Christmas. There's snow everywhere. There's lights. They're living in to this expectation of a future thing, but it's their present reality. And I love that. And as Christians, our life should be all about the kingdom of heaven. We should be looking forward to that day, but everything that surrounds our life should be heaven-themed and heaven-based. We should be so excited and spreading the joy of the kingdom kingdom all around us. This is what we're all about. And, and when we as Christians refuse to be all about the kingdom, we, come, we become what Dallas Willard calls vampire Christians. He says, this idea has created the impression that it's quite reasonable to be a vampire Christian. One, in effect, says to Jesus, I'd like a little of your blood, please, but I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I go on with my life and I'll see you in heaven. But can we really imagine at this, as this being an acceptable approach to Jesus? No, we're called to live in to what the king desires. 
What are his purposes? Jesus didn't come to teach moralism. He didn't come to be be a life coach. No, Jesus came with a rescue mission. And people just don't get it often. In Luke 17, the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom come? What signs will we see of the kingdom? This is what Jesus' response is. The kingdom is coming, but not in a way that you think. You see, it's not going to float down from the heavens. You're not going to see it on a cloud going, oh, it's the kingdom. You're not going to look in some foreign, far-off country and say, oh, America has more Christians, so the kingdom's there. Or, oh, China has a pretty sweet underground church thing going, so maybe the kingdom's there. No, he says, the, he's saying to the Pharisees, it's right in front of you. The kingdom is among you. What are you talking about? I'm the king. I'm here. The kingdom is right in front of your eyes. It's like those romantic comedies, like those teen romantic comedies where the nerdy girl, like, her, she gets bumped and her glasses come off, and like, it's like, oh, it's always been you. You said to take off your glasses. You're right in front of my eyes. The kingdom is right in front of your eyes. Where the king is, the kingdom is. The second thing is the kingdom is upside down. It's an upside down kingdom. What does that mean? Let's break it down. In our way of thinking, who gets to inherit a kingdom? The rich and the powerful and the connected. Think about high school. You're like, no, we came here to forget our troubles. For one day, can we just be free? Like birds. Listen, in high school, how do people rise up the social ladder? Well, for someone's wealth, it's who's got the clothes, who's got the cars, who's buying their friends stuff, who's throwing the house parties. For some people, it's power. It's who, is, who has the power of attraction. You look at them and you're like, oh, they're hot. They've got that power. Uh, or maybe it's gossip. You know, they've got the power to put people down and step on other people. Or maybe they're the couples and, and they, there's power in those relationships where people look up to you. A lot of times in high school, when you're dating somebody, it's like, oh, you've risen up the social status. For some people, it's connections. They're in with the teachers. They're in with the cheerleaders, the football uh, players, the student council. And that's really the way of the world. That's just kind of how the world works. It's wealth, power, possessions, and things like that. However, Jesus has some interesting things to say about our worldly systems in his parables. You see, he tells about a kingdom that is completely upside down. And I used to read parables as little moral lessons. You know, I was like, oh, so this is all about Jesus saying, be nice. Thanks for telling me to be nice, Jesus. Listen, in the parables, we often miss the clear messages about the kingdom of God. Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 22, if you want to turn there with me, the parable of the wedding guests. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is talking to a crowd, and he says in verse 1, and then again Jesus spoke to them in parables, and he said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. So picture, there's this king, and he's got this big flowing kingly beard, and he's just like, I am here inviting you to my son's wedding. Verse 4, again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who were invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. And he's not talking about his calves. He's talking about like baby cows. Um, He's like, they've been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. He's saying, listen, I put a lot of work into this. It's my son. Come on, like, Please come to the wedding feast. Verse 5, they paid no attention and went off one to his farm and another to his business. The people invited to the wedding, the aristocrats, the rich, they're like, we got better things to do. Like, who cares, king? Your son's getting married. Oh, that's great. I got a son too. He got married last week. Like, deal with it, king. I got to run my business. I got to run my farm. Verse 6, 
While the rest, these are some of the other people invited, they they took it a little bit more far. Uh, They seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Good gosh, I don't like to get spammed with invites to things I don't want to go to either, but killing the messenger is a little intense. So then verse 7, the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. So then he says to his servant, I want you to go out and invite everyone. The servant goes, everyone, my lord. Everyone. Really? (laughs) He goes, yes, everyone. Even the beggars. Yes. The crooks, the criminals. Yes. They invite the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, and the town murderer. So just everybody. <laughs> says, verse 9, he says, Go therefore to the main roads and invite the wedding feasts as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Don't you see? It's an upside down kingdom. And in the story, these guests are given white robes that allow them to enter into the kingdom. And not just the bad, but the good too. Not just the good, but the bad as well. Not just the rich, but the poor. And most of the people who thought they were too good or too rich didn't make it in. They rejected the king. They said, I don't need it. I don't need your robes. I don't need your wedding. But in the story, they are left out freezing in the cold. And it's the people who understand they are poor and criminals. They are the ones humble enough to be allowed in. Don't you get it? It's, it's this idea of an upside down kingdom. It's like going to homecoming and the captain of the football team gets up to announce the homecoming king and queen. And it ends up being the nerdy dude who sits by himself at lunch and is captain of the chess squad and the dorky klutzy girl who wears the neck brace and the headgear and ends up being those guys that's you I'm sorry there's like one guy in here who like runs the chess team he's like yeah sounds like my dream I was that guy I sat by myself every lunch and played Pokemon and had no friends so let's hang out afterwards if that's you Um, I'm just trying to show you though in the normal structure of high school it's 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 not like one of those things where you're like oh I get it it's like those viral social media videos where cool people help lame people and post it on Instagram so they look like good people you know what I'm talking about like here I am being really hot helping someone less fortunate than me check me out aren't I great (laughs) those kind of videos no 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 it'd be like if the nerds won homecoming and everyone in the school everybody was like yes they deserve it these guys are awesome we love them this is upside down kingdom and despite our worldly kingdom system in the upside down kingdom everyone is made in God's image everyone is worthy of love despite your external attractiveness despite your wealth despite your clothes and fashion despite whether or not you have a boyfriend or girlfriend despite if you're rich despite if you're poor despite if you're intelligent or athletic no matter what you are good at or bad at in the kingdom of God you are worthy because God says you are Everyone needs salvation, friendship, and community. The kingdom is for everyone who is humble enough to realize that they need it. And you may be here today thinking, you know, the kingdom's not really for me. Uh, It's for her, that one really spiritual girl. You know, the one who only speaks in King James Version scripture quotations. You're like, hey, Carol, my cat died. And she's like, Romans 8.28. And we know if that all things work together for good for them that love God and you are called according to thine purposes. Thanks, Carol. (laughs) Seriously. I know it, though. There's always certain 
people who you look at and you put on a pedestal and you're like, I could never be like them. I could never read my Bible as much as them. I can never pray as much as them. I can't be them. You're right, you can't, but you can be you and that's who God made you to be and he's calling you to become more like him. Not more like her, not more like that guy, like Jesus. And he's enabled you to do it. Seriously, you might think you're not good enough for the kingdom. Jesus says, actually, the fact that you realize you're a sinner is what enables you to accept salvation. The kingdom is not only for those of us who have arrived, and in fact, none of us have, myself included. It's for those who are in need. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who lack in finances and in spirit, because in to them is the kingdom if they'll submit themselves to the king. Blessed is the meek, those who have power, but they keep it under control. They're not stepping on other people. They're not rising up the social ladder because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What righteousness means is right relationship with God. It's for God to restore the things that are broken. If you're here today and there's hurts in your life and you're like, I hunger for righteousness. I just want things to be fixed. Jesus says, blessed are you who hunger for righteousness because you will be filled Blessed are the merciful because they will receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. You see, we are called to be like children, to have faith in God like a child. I remember growing up, um, my parents would drive and I had no idea how bad of drivers they were. Because when you're a kid, you don't notice that. You know what I'm talking about when you're riding with mom and dad? How many of you guys have nostalgic feelings of falling asleep in the back seat to the sound of adults talking in the front seat? Anybody? I just love that. Like mom and dad just having a conversation and you're like, they're in control and I'm just in this warm, fuzzy place with the heater on and I can just fall asleep and I don't have to worry about anything. Now I know how bad my parents are driving and I'm in the back like, no, mom, don't do it. You have so much left to live for. Like, stop, <laughs> please. <laughs> We need to have faith like a child because God is not our parents. We all grow up and we eventually find out our parents are human and they make mistakes. God is not human. He does not make mistakes. And we need to have that childlike faith. God, I know that you're in control and I know that you know what I'm doing. Now, we don't want to misunderstand the kingdom because remember, misunderstandings can lead to lack of truth. Instead of truth, you get what's called truthiness, which is just half-truths. You're like, that sounds truthy. It's not truthful. It's truthy. At first glance, it sounds like when Jesus says these things about the poor, especially, he says, it sounds like Jesus is saying the kingdom is only for the social outcasts. Like, if you're like here and you're like, I'm loaded. I've got like a million dollars in my wallet. <laughs> that's how much I, that's how little I care. I could lose a million dollars at camp and I, like, my friends could still, I wouldn't even care. So if you're like, what about me? Like, is the kingdom for me? In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, um, there was once a rich man who asked Jesus, Jesus, what can I do to be saved? I kept all the commandments. And Jesus says, sell your stuff and give it to the poor and follow me. The guy goes, oh, can't do that. And he leaves. And then Jesus says, you know, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. It's almost like trying to shove a camel through a needle. <laughs> You're like, that's a weird analogy, Jesus. Just imagine a camel like, rrr, rrr, trying to like get through a needle. It's like, What? Jesus was full of awesome one-liners. So here, it's like, what's, go, what's going on? What, 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 is Jesus against the rich people? Like, is Jesus, does Jesus hate on the rich people? What's going on? So you think, I, I thought, you know, to be saved, you just had to say a prayer. What, what's it all about? Why is Jesus giving conditions? Here's the explanation. You see, the only way into the kingdom is to follow the king through the gates. You have to follow Jesus. 
And you can't follow Jesus. Listen, you can't follow Jesus if something else is your God. Let that sink in. The problem wasn't that the man was rich. I have rich Christian friends all the time. They buy me lunch. It's fantastic. The problem was not that the man had riches. It was that the riches had him. His money was his God, and you can't serve two masters. When something else is your God, you end up demanding that Jesus serves your kingdom. You say, I said a prayer, Jesus, now make me richer. Help my grades. Just get me a boyfriend. Get me a girlfriend. That's just Jesus, please, Lord Jesus. You say, make me popular. Solve my problems. No, listen, the world doesn't revolve around our story because you were made for God's glory, which is a much bigger and better story. You see men building statues as monuments to themselves. I look at a statue. I showed my kids a picture of a statue, and I was like, who's this guy? Does anyone know his name? And everyone's was like, I have no idea. Exactly. This guy put all this time to build a statue of himself, and now he's dead and forgotten. Whose name lasts forever? Jesus. For every one of us, Jesus is calling us to radical kingdom living. But for all of us to truly follow Christ and live for the kingdom, we have to give up what has a hold on us. We've been called the selfie generation. There's been more deaths from selfies than shark attacks. There's a guy I watched on YouTube who was like standing outside a train and he was taking a selfie and then another guy on the train like came by and he knocked the phone out of his hand. And I went, ha that's funny because I'm mean. <clears throat> But they did a study where they showed that everyone wants to be famous, you know? That's like your generation and my generation. And, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about this, but I was a failed YouTube star. When YouTube first started out, I had a puppet show on there called Skippy Shorts. Look it up. It's horrendously stupid. Um, Anyway, though... uh, I wanted to be famous. I, I wanted to live the dream of people like on the internet thinking I was great, and that did not work out. They did a study where they asked teenagers, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? And you know what? When they did, they did the same study in the 60s, and they asked kids in the 60s, what do you want to be? And they're like, I want to be something that helps somebody. I want to be something like a doctor or a nurse or a lawyer, something where I can contribute to society. Like, I want to be helpful. 2012, they did the same survey. What do you want to be? Everyone says, famous. I want people to shout my name. In Matthew 20, 26, what Jesus says is, whoever wants to be great needs to be a servant of all. A foot washer. You guys know the story of Jesus? Just imagine we're out there walking around, and for some reason, Alan's like, you guys are doing that walk, I think, tomorrow. For some reason, Alan's like, all right, everyone, barefoot. Barefoot walk in freezing cold water. And you're like, okay, I'll do it, because Alan said, because he's the pastor, barefoot. And then you guys walk through, like, a field of dog doo-doo. You're just like, ugh, so everyone's feet are just nasty. It's like underneath your toes, and it's just like, ugh. And then we get in the chapel, and Jesus shows up. And he's like, I'm going to wash those feet. (laughs) And he just starts going around the rag, and he's like washing your feet, and he's looking you in the eye, and he's like, I'm doing this because I love you. Write this down if you're taking notes. Simple acts of obedience are the building bricks of the kingdom. Simple acts of obedience are the building bricks of the kingdom. Alan, what time do I need to be done? Five minutes? Okay. For real? Okay. So I remember when I was in high school ministry, or no, junior high ministry as a counselor, 
I was serving, but I wasn't a good servant. I remember um, one time as a volunteer, we were in the alleyway at the church uh, where we do our youth group ministry, and there we were playing this game where we like hung donuts from strings, and someone broke a glass out there, and I remember looking at the mess, and I was like, someone else will get that. You ever do that? You look down, and you're like, that's someone else's job. That's what I thought. Well, I remember there was this guy who'd been on staff as an intern volunteer for like a million years. His name was Brian. And he was there so long that when I was a kid in youth ministry, he was my counselor. No one asked Brian to go to the garage and grab, grab a broom, but he did. He went and he grabbed that broom and he got on the ground and he cleaned up the glass and he cleaned up the donuts and he didn't tell anyone. And I saw him and I was like, that's awesome. That's a simple act of obedience. It's the building bricks of the kingdom. You see, when Jesus came and was obedient to the Father to come to earth, he laid the foundation for the perfect kingdom of heaven. And then he says to us as disciples, let's go build. What you do now, guys, affects eternity. Anything you build for your own earthly kingdom won't last, but everything you do for Jesus will. If you're here today and you're just like, what can I do? What can I do? Guys, I'm going to finish more of this tomorrow. So for tonight, let's just talk about these building bricks. What does that look like? You go home from camp and you go into the living room after school and you've had a long day and you just want, you're like, I've got my homework. I've got to study for a test. I've got one hour to get on my phone and just swipe, swipe time, Instagram, just, just looking at other people's lives going, wouldn't that be great if that was me? Great way to spend an hour. I do it too. I'm not judging you. It's, it's in a disease that we have. So you look in the sink and there's a pile of dirty dishes. You know what my first thought is? Mom should really get to work on those. But Jesus is calling and he says, what if you did? That's not my job. I mow the lawn. That's my one thing I do. It's my job. My parents pay for everything. <laughs> Food and rent and I mow the lawn. So we're even, mom and dad, thanks. Thanks for the nine months of carrying me in your womb, mom. Mowing the lawn. No, Jesus is calling. And he says, what if you did the dishes? What if you read a Bible story to your little brother to help your mom out and give her a nap? What if you mowed the lawn even if it's not your job? What if you helped your siblings with their chores? What if you did your homework not just because you want that grade before God and his kingdom? What if you lived for the Lord. This is so freeing, guys, because listen, we all strive for worldly success. What does success in the world of the, eye, the eyes of the world, what does success look like? It's numbers, it's scores, ratings, grades, bank accounts. What does success in God's eyes look like? It's obedience. Simple acts of obedience build a kingdom that will never crumble. Guys, listen, no bad grade can separate you from God's plan for your life. No mistake can separate you from God's will for your life. We make mistakes all the time. Some of you guys, you guys are perfectionists. And you try so hard for that A plus and then you get a B minus or even like a B plus, like almost A minus. And you're just like, my whole world is falling apart. I failed. My parents are going to kick me out on the street. So that's some of you guys. Listen, the Lord looks at you and he says, do your best and let me take care of the rest. You live for me. It's not about the grade. It's about you doing what you're doing for my glory. 
You might think, I messed up, I blew it. What, what is Jesus telling you to do right now? Who cares about your past? What is Jesus telling you to do right now? Obey. The expression that I taught the kids in my youth group is, if Jesus is king, that changes everything. He's not just the king of the Jews, he's the king of the world. And we are called to take back ground for the kingdom. Are we going to have any worship up at the end? No? Okay. I'll say this as my last thing here. We grow up with this idea. Here's, here's, Here's the reality, guys. Here's the reality. We grow up honestly not thinking about heaven that much. We think of heaven as this thing that might happen. Or we're like, I think it's going to happen, but I want to live for now. And instead, we try to build our own heaven here on earth. It's called the American dream. It's called three-story house, two cars, maybe a boat, perfect wife, perfect kids, perfect job, money for your kids to go to college. Everything's great. That's what we live for. We live for building our own kingdom. We live for making our life so great here, and we miss out on what God's calling us to do. I'm not saying that having a nice house and having cars and all that, like none of that stuff's bad. If God blesses you, praise the Lord. But if that's what you're chasing, if that's the goal, if that's, the, if that's what you're living for, you're going to be bummed out in the end. And, you know, uh, Keith Green so one of my favorite musicians, and he, he once uh, was singing this song, and he was talking about how, you know, God made the world in six days, and he's been working on heaven for thousands of years. You know what? This world, is, it's like living in a garbage can compared to what the finished project is going to look like, and here's what we do. Here's, here's the problem. So we're here in the garbage can, and we know we're going to end up in this amazing mansion place. Just imagine you're living in a garbage can, and a king comes to you and says, Hey, listen, in six days, I'm coming back for you, and I'm going to move you into my mansion. Here's what I want you to do. Tell everybody else, all the other Oscar the Grouches living in the garbage cans, they can come too. Invite them. Let's, let's do this. What do you do for the six days? You spend it, instead of telling people, instead of living in preparation for the move, you bedazzle your garbage can. You go to the mall and you get those jewels and you just like make your garbage can all shiny. Like, I'm just going to make my enjoy my time in the garbage can the best experience ever. I'm just going to get a plasma TV for my garbage can. It's going to be the best garbage can. It's going to like scented candles for my garbage can. It's like, what are you doing? You're called to live for something greater. Let's pray and let's ask God to help us to live for the greater kingdom. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for this moment just to look at the kingdom, to look at what it is. Lord, to, to realize that it's not just this distant thing that's going to happen, this abstract, intangible thing, this event where we end up in this fluffy cloudland, Lord. But no, you are coming back to make a new heaven and a new earth. You're coming back to rescue your people. You're coming back to restore what was broken, to forgive those who need to be forgiven, to set the captives free. You are coming back to restore everything to the former glory for which it was intended. God, we have a great and glorious future to look forward to. Help us right now to live for your kingdom and not our kingdom. Help us, Lord, to build your kingdom through simple acts of obedience, of loving our families, of loving our friends, 
friends, of even loving our, the stranger and our enemies and the kids who sit alone by themselves at school. God, help us not to live for popularity and the social struggle of climbing the ladder, Lord, that lasts not just in high school, but through college and through career, Lord. It's, it's this thing that we can chase, God. We can chase after this, this false idea of heaven, this little kingdom of our own, God. But Lord, help us not to build sandcastles when the Grand Canyon is right in front of us, Lord. Help us to live for you and your kingdom and your purposes, Lord. I pray this, the rest of this weekend, you would continue to reveal to us, Lord, the truth about your kingdom and who you are. We love you, God, and we ask this in your name. Amen.